week is brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to CombatFlipFlops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. Also brought to you by Heads Up Guys. Heads Up Guys is a resource providing men with information and practical tips on how to manage and prevent their depression. This is a dedicated online tool devoted to helping men get the help that they need, finding someone to talk to, and navigate difficult times. For more information, please head over to headsupguys.org. And by Beneath, starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. All right, everyone, welcome to this week's episode. I have got an incredible person with me that I got to know over a wild, wild, wild weekend with a bunch of boys that are straight up killers in the best way possible. So uh, I'd like to introduce Tim, our soul Viking. Welcome, Tim, to the show. Happy to be here. This is wonderful. It's an honor. Oh, you're so sweet, Frig. After knowing you now, as quick and as deep as I do know you, I feel like this is, uh, I feel like we're just, people are just getting to peer into what we talk like every day. And I'm excited about that because you are uh, by far one of the more interesting people that I've ever had in my life. And, wow. and I mean, for people who are watching this, like no, no big deal here. But if you, if you don't, if you're not listening, I mean, watching the video and you're only listening to the audio, do yourself a favor and go watch the video because Tim, Tim here, well, Tim has his whole fucking head tattooed and <laughs> Tim is the definition of an actual Viking in the sense that that is exactly who he is, runs through his blood. But if you see the sides of Tim's head right now, Tim got a new tattoo. Jesus Christ, look at that freaking thing. It's fresh. Tim? So it fresh. Sore, buddy. It looks sore. That's sharp oh. as shit, though. Oh, That's my nice. God. It was yeah, painful. it is nice. Well, you know, pain is beauty. Isn't that what we oh, say in the fashion yeah. oh, industry? Yeah. That is, that's a good point. I like it. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll run with that. So yeah. Tim, uh, I want you to tell my guests and uh, myself a little bit more about, uh, about you. Just give me a little insight to who Tim is and how he got to where he is now. And we'll take it from there. All right. So, I mean, um, basically um, I was combat arms in the, uh, in the army and um i mean a fun little fact i mean you and i we were in afghanistan the same time within a hundred kilometers of each other like yeah we were literally i i know (laughs) the area that you were at the uh the operation that you guys were a part of and it's crazy how small this fucking world gets um and of course viewer discretion there oh there is sweetheart every single one of my episodes if it doesn't have the word fuck at least three times it's not a true episode now is it fuck 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 there we go all right now we got him in now we got him out all right uh so basically um got out of the military uh same rigmarole for a lot of veterans nowadays you get out you lose your sense of purpose you don't know where the fuck you're gonna go what you're gonna do uh your skills as combat arms i mean putting out a resume i you know how, how's that going to compute with a desk job? So 
basically decided to go back to school. Um, I suffered injuries over in Afghanistan and uh, as a result, memory, uh, all that jazz that comes with it is a severe limiter in a lot of places that I could go and do. And so school was a huge challenge. Um, but nonetheless, I really uh, strived hard to try and achieve my best um, in the new life that I wanted outside of the military um, and uh, decided to pursue art and uh, went down to San Francisco and went through the, uh, the art academy uh, in a bachelor's of fine art illustration, enjoyed myself, had a wonderful time. Uh, but during that process, it was another struggle uh, going to San Francisco. My school was in downtown San Francisco, so I had to commute on a packed fucking subway every morning. And like, if that doesn't aggravate your PTSD, I don't know what the fuck will. Uh, you know, you just constantly, someone bumps into you, you're just like, oh, I'm gonna just. And you don't look, and you don't look like the guy that you would want to bump into and accidentally set off. If, if, if you're not watching, you need to be watching this episode. I'm telling my listeners, seriously. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fun. You know, we're, we're, we're going through the, the ringers of uh, how to pull yourself out of the mud. Like right now we're kind of feeling we're in the mud, a little foggy, just not really in the hype uh, of, you know, making sure the listeners get a good episode. But at the same time, that's daily life. We got to learn how to get out of that mud, whether it's meditation, you know, yoga, mm -hmm. uh, exercise, a lot of physical fitness, get that blood pumping. Um, to me, that that's what really helped pulled me out of that funk was um, physical exercise. And while I was in San Francisco, I decided to compete in an Ironman. And I had never done a triathlon in my entire life. I <laughs> called up my brother. I'm like, hey, man, I want to fucking do this Ironman. He's like, you know what this is, right? I'm like, yep. <laughs> He's like, have you ever done one? I'm like, nope. Have you? He's like, nope. All right. So let's do it. <laughs> I signed up for the Ironman without ever having completed a single triathlon. Um, ridden a few bikes, uh, had a, a little chintzy road bike that I rode around now and then. Uh, but as far as, you know, getting in the zone for it, I just wanted that challenge that would really destroy me. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to get back to that feeling in the military, you know, where you're getting pushed to your utter limits. And, uh, I really missed that. And I found that in, um, physical sports and, uh, especially, um, not being in a team sport anymore, it's, it's really hard. And so, you know, triathlons, it's a single sport, yet you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are just, man, they're, it's like a family you've never thought you had. And so uh, a lot of people cheering each other on, you know, giving words of encouragement. Um, at the same time, you can just have freedom to be like, fuck you. Like I'm in the zone right now. I'm in the pain cave. And so <laughs> It, uh, it, it just kind of, it, it clicked for me. And so I really started training for that and decided to do the Ironman Tahoe, um, which okay. arguably, I will argue this, is one of the hardest Ironmans in the world because of the elevation and the yeah. elevation gain that you're at. And so, oh man, did I get my ass kicked. Um, but I finished it and did it in a very respectable time. Nothing, nothing competitive, not even fucking close, but, um, to me, it was, it was a, a success. And so that kind of put me on the path of getting out of that funk and really started diving into, uh, meditation and yoga. And so this was back in, uh, 2015 and, um, that, that put me on the path 
of understanding that spiritual side of what it's like to uh, combine that with your physical fitness. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a huge part, I think, in, um, you know, how to become a whole person and uh, to combat PTSD, because you can't just work on physical fitness. You have to learn how to dive into those deep, dark places and understand who the fuck you are. So that is kind of like the basis of like, me in a nutshell. I mean, <laughs> I got, I got to ask though. I mean, when you, when you decided to join the military, how old were you? I was 21. Okay. So you weren't straight, straight out of high school. You weren't recruited like one of those Marines where, where, you know, the guy shows up in the parking lot and he's like, I want you. And you're like, I don't want to be you. I don't want to be the guy you're pointing at. That wasn't you. You didn't have to go through that whole situation. Nope. Basically I, uh, I went to community college before, before that I was an EMT and, uh, worked seasonally in, uh, wildland fires. And so the, like the experience of adrenaline wasn't unfamiliar for me. Um, but mm-hmm. I wanted something that I could prepare my life for because working as an EMT, like I, I have a high respect for our civil servants because they don't get paid a whole lot. And for what no. they do on a daily basis, um, it, it is traumatic and there is, you know, PTS in that. So, um, it, man, like that kind of pre- prepared me for the army, but at the same time, it was, uh, uh, just a beautiful clusterfuck of getting into the, the anger side of a human being, how, how you can just really want to hate another person. Uh, and you know, that, that is needed. And, uh, you know, our buddy Griff, he likes to use the methodology. Uh, oh. I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in war. Oh, so, you're going to die. You're going to die. Yeah. You're going to die yeah. for sure. You're going to die. <laughs> what's gonna happen to you i'm sorry if you send a gardener to war he's gonna die and we all need to accept that and get on board with that because that's just the reality of the situation and that but that but that saying holds so much weight to it and it's it's so under appreciated and under under understood if you would to the regular population because if they've never been in that situation they've never had that type of adrenaline or that another attack or that need to hate somebody on the level that you could take their life they could never truly understand what that saying means. Um, I find that fascinating that you you bring up Griff because he bitched out on us today. So um, I, I said it. I called him out. I'm calling you out, Griff. <laughs> it's happening right now. And I want you to know you can probably feel it in your little feelies right now. But your intuition was right. We were talking shit exactly at 140. So if you listen to this back, this is on you. This is your fault. Um, you could have been here to defend yourself, but you weren't. So this is what happens to you. So I want to know a little bit more about, uh, people may, you mean, you may not find value in this, but I find value in this. And because I want to know a little bit about how you decided you know, the type of person you are that I've learned about you more and more is you are an incredibly artistic individual with that comes not always the prospect of becoming a military member there had to be some type of point for you when you were younger. Did you have family members? Did you have relatives? How was that for you? You're talking on the artistic standpoint. Well, I mean, if you look at your high school time and you Mm -hmm. were in school, would you have thought that the military would have been where you would have went? Um, yeah, it, it had crossed my mind. You know, I was, um, I was in high school, uh, during September 11th. And so, Mm -hmm. 
the idea to join was, you know, buried there. And uh, all my high school buddies, you know, they're, they're saying in two years, three years, when they graduate, they're joining the military. Um, I thought that too. Um, at the same time, I, you know, I had circumstances that changed mm-hmm. uh, my school. And so I dropped out of high school and okay. um, got my GED. Ah, GED and, uh, too. <laughs> and so basically dropped out and uh, moved out of the house when I was 17 and uh, went, went to Northern California and wanted to kind of see what I could do on my own. Um, and that, that's kind of why it took me so long to join the military is because I was doing mm-hmm. some fun stuff and enjoying my life, um, traveling, um, going to Japan, South America, just enjoying the, the fruits of being able to travel. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is kind of what helped prepare me so much before joining the military. And I'm super thankful for that because going to Afghanistan and, you know, Iraq, that those weren't the first foreign countries I'd ever been to. So for me, that was just kind of, it wasn't a culture shock at the same time. It fucking was, I mean, you're going into a combat zone that is just like, it's not something that you would expect would be your first foreign country you visit. So I think a lot of these kids who join at 18 um, and that's their first country they ever see. And that, that can be a mind fuck. Yeah. I understand that when you, when you talk about traveling, when you're younger, it it makes a lot of sense to, to me joining the military for you because you weren't, it's not like you were a, what's the word I'm looking for here. You weren't a shelter child. You weren't the type of kid who was told, you know, don't play with guns or don't hunt or don't fish or don't, don't live your life outside. You were always kind of, it sounds like you were slowly integrated with your family without even realizing it into that lifestyle. And with that kind of comes that curiosity of what else is going on. And then that took you to traveling the world and seeing those things. The thing I find most fascinating when I talk to anybody who's American versus Canadian, British or otherwise is we all experienced 9-11 in a different way, whether it was watching it on the news, living in the United States, being a part of it. Somehow, no matter where, no matter where you were in this world, 9-11 hit you whether you liked it or not. It was the one kind of equalizer, whether though it happened in America, we still felt it. I remember watching it. I was, this is gonna age, you're gonna, I'm, I'm, I was 11 or 12 right around the time. And I remember it very distinctly. Uh, I don't ever remember hearing myself saying or hearing others around me saying, I wanna join the military. I wanna go do things like that because I believe you know the way that Canada looked at it at the time, it wasn't, it wasn't our, I want to say it wasn't our fight or anything like that because very much was a Western culture fight, essentially. I never had that and I never heard that. And so when I talk to Americans, I find it incredibly fascinating only for this, if only for the sense that everybody I've spoken to after 9-11, they're like, I'm going to join the military. Right. <laughs> everybody, everybody. There is no, I don't know that I've talked to one American who has actually served in the military. And when I ask them, why did you join like 9-11? I just, I find that really interesting how that affected the culture and the way that the United States formed over the, the, you know, the past 20 years and what that looked like for the industrial complex and how it grew be all because of one singular date, not to minimize that date by any means, but but that Mm. one date was so impactful on so many lives, but you don't realize it until later. And, and, you know, hindsight's 2020 when you look back. So I, I just find that fascinating when you say, you know, a few of my buddies, like in two, three years, like they were planned 
their lives after high school already knowing exactly what they were going to go and do. Right. It's just, it's wild. It's so wild to me. So you joined, you joined, and you became a Marine. Nope. I was army. I'll let you that were slide. Army? All right. I thought you, who was, who was in the group that was a Marine with us? I don't was know. Roderick? Was Roderick the Marine? No, no Roderick was, was Navy. Navy. Oh yeah. Roger was definitely Navy. Yeah. Um, oh, Armand. Oh yeah. I think he was. Yeah. Maybe Somebody, we had a Marine, we had a Marine with us and I, yeah. and I don't remember who, but we were chatting about it uh, recently and I'm like, okay, makes sense. So you did army. And when you joined army, what happened after that? Because you didn't just stay regular Pogue army. So like hit me with when it. I, when I joined army, when you joined I'm gonna the, join army, you're going to, I'm going to join army today. Maybe I'll do Navy tomorrow. It'll really right. depend on how I feel. You know, the mood, whatever strikes me. Whatever this strikes month's flavor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so what did I, that look like? I joined, um, basically primarily, um, I joined for the bonus. Um, I got a, <laughs> a sizable bonus when I joined and, uh, the GI bill that was luring. Um, and I was bored at my job. So like, I would love to say like, yeah, I joined out of patriotic duty is like, no, I just wanted to fucking have an adventure, like, yeah, and go have some crazy shit go down and crazy shit went down. So I got my wish, honestly, and uh, everything was hokey pokey and basically joined as a 13 Fox, which is a forward observer artillery and the uh, the artillery side of it. And uh, my time was spent um, enjoying and learning all kinds of different fun ways to fuck people up. So that, <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's, uh, it's cliche, but as a combat it's arms, not. It's, but as, yeah, it's like as a combat arms or someone who's like, what's your specialty? It's like, number one, my specialty is to fucking kill the enemy. Fuck uh, around and find out. That's yeah, right. fuck around and find out. So the, uh, the whole thing with me was uh going through joint tactical operation controller and uh that is working with air uh air assets and um then when i went over to afghanistan the uh the fun was uh in regards to climbing a bunch of hills sitting on a hill and uh, doing air assets for movements uh infantry um the cav scouts and a few other operations worked with canadian forces uh, and British forces, um, German. So like the, uh, the whole getting to know foreign countries was pretty spectacular. I spent a bunch of week with fucking Canadians on this, uh, shitty, you poor, poor yeah, soul. I know. they were fun though, man. Oh, oh, I loved them. It was, uh, it was great. They had scorpion fights and, uh, they were, yeah, <laughs> they yeah. Were, super... we're smart individuals. Oh yeah. They didn't have any Timmy's though. So that was a bummer. Eh? Well, you, well, it's because you weren't, it's because you weren't fucking, you were too busy not being at calf, like twiddling your thumbs. They had the Tim Hortons at calf. Again. Oh, I know. Right. When I first got there, I sent, I like, I sent a email to my brother-in-law. He's Canadian. He's a newfie. So, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I sent an email. I'm like, dude, there's a fucking Tim Hortons here. He's probably so. like, uh, really? <laughs> yeah. they, but those people, it's so funny because um, I actually found out about that program because I wanted to know, like, how does one, 
who works at Tim Hortons be like, I'm gonna fuck off and go work in a sea can for like six months. They straight up did similar long tours as the rest of the Canadians. Like they would go for six months and that's, that's, oh yeah. Like they were legit. Same with, same with like, yeah, they straight up did donut tours. It was amazing. And then they just, they had to go to, they dealt with like, they would go to the ramp ceremonies and they would go, they would work. And then they went on HLTA, which is the the break. They would go on their break and they, it was like the tiniest Tim Hortons I've ever seen. It was in a shipping container that was modded out and they sold donuts and coffee. And that was straight up it. But I remember it cause I got to go to it one time and the donuts were sold out and I don't even like the coffee from there. So I can't even pretend like I enjoyed it. But I do remember there was um, right, a, right along the boardwalk. There was a, like a tea, like a coffee tea shop there too. And I remember it was, it was a completely different sort of thing. I went there a lot because they had a lot of tea, but the, the Timmy's thing, I, I I didn't really, it's so funny. Canadians are like, we had a Tim Hortons there. I'm like, they had cool hats. That's all they had. They had cool fucking hats. Nobody shared the hats. Nobody told us where to buy the hats. But if you get one of the Tim Hortons Afghanistan hats and somebody has one out there, I want one sent to me because I tried to get one and I couldn't even get one. So is it still there? Jesus. I, I don't know. I mean, what is What's going on in Kandahar? That's a good question. Kandahar is still operational. I mean, it's a, it? a major logistics point. So, I mean, there's there's Kandahar and Kabul. So that's yeah. those are kind of the two major air bases. I mean, you were there. So you were there in 2009. So yeah. I was there in 2009, obviously. And yeah. uh, I think we were, I got there in April. Same. Okay. Shit. So we were walking yeah. around fucking Kandahar in this <laughs> giant shit pit. i'm laughing so hard because i like as soon as you say that i can picture myself walking to the boardwalk and i feel like i could have walked right by somebody that looks like you and i would have been like he looks like he murders a lot of people like there would have been like no hesitation in my mind i'd be like that guy that guy kills people for a living and he does it effectively that's why he looks like that but then i've also realized i'm starting to realize very slowly that there are so many of you you terrifying looking American murderers and not American murderers, but you know, they murder See people that is. just weren't Americans. You get it. You know how it is. That's fine. Okay. That's right. It happens. All right. Yeah, that's right. You heard me. I went there. I mean, what you know me though. Like I, once you, if you become my friend, I am. You a, go hard. I'm a giant teddy bear and I love you, you are. to the world. And so you are. that's the other thing. If you fuck with my family, you're, Again, I'm going to bite your throat out with my teeth. And, I, I, and I'll be honest, I witnessed something that made me never question that in Tim for the, my whole life being. I witnessed something, heard something come out of Tim in a situation that we were in that made me legitimately question whether or not he could be a calm, loving human being because it was the most terrifying noises. I've ever heard come out of a person. It was horrific. Scared the shit out of me. Jesus. Hey, Tim, how you doing? <laughs> Not good. <laughs> okay, buddy. That's, that's a conversation for a different time. But that's what I mean. You are, you are, you have such a loving capacity and you have such a kind soul and that does come through but you do also have the switch that flips and that's where you become the warfighter that you are. When you deployed, was it Iraq first or was it Afghanistan? How did that work for you? Uh, so I did uh, three months in Iraq 
and then uh, did 16 months in Afghanistan. When you do your tours like that, do you do all of them in succession? So Afghanistan, the whole tour, you didn't do a break in between. Did you do HLTA. Is it split up into two tours? How's that work? Yeah, so it's technically split up. And the the idea, uh, so the, the whole concept was just like security and like redistribution um, in Iraq. And that was just kind of... Um, an interesting time, not really something that a lot of people really talk about when, you know, everything's dialing down in that mm -hmm. foreign country, um, where, you know, dudes who are very close friend of mine, they, you know, they were in Iraq when shit was hitting the fan. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, that I feel is probably the same situation for other guys who were probably in Afghanistan. Um, I mean, last year, the year before, I mean, we still have people there. So, but it's all like, it's all just kind of, you know, you're, you're just kind of tending to the bases and making sure that there's security, um, cer certain missions are still going down. Uh, but I mean, it, at the same time, you aren't really in that, like the whole comparison side of it. I feel, um, it, it can kind of chop the legs out from a lot of veterans. Uh, I mean, we can kind of switch gears on the same side of yeah. this, um, Talking with a lot of the VFW guys here, veterans of foreign war, does Canada, does, does Canada have that? Not that I know. I mean, I'm sure we do. Uh, it's not mm -hmm. like I would know, to be honest, out here. we, Especially on the West Coast Canada, I find we have a very small group of, I mean, at least I've noticed that uh, it's a very small, it's a lot smaller group of veterans out here that I find um, that actually hang out together and do those types of things together. Back East in Canada is where you really start to get into like the guys on the Hill, you get into where more of the combat arms ranges are at and you get into more of the, you know, Petawawa, Vakietse, uh, the larger combat forces bases. So I don't chat with and or see those type of people as much as I would if I did lived back East. So I don't actually mm. know the answer to that, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, yeah. So then it goes back to the whole concept of, you know, support and uh, combat, you know, there at the VFW, there's a lot of guys who weren't in wartime, um, but they were deployed to a foreign uh, conflict. Mm -hmm. And so there, there is that, um, you know, they, they don't feel like they can talk to a lot of these younger guys who are in Afghanistan and Iraq because there, a lot of shit went down. Um, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's a lot of other veterans, you know, in like group meetings that they weren't, they were support, um, you know, like, you know, they could be derogatory, whatever. I mean, I use the word pogue, whatever your person, <laughs> technically I'm a pogue because I'm not a grunt. Um, yeah. so like, whatever it is, what it is, but the, uh, support side of it, you know, it's important. And uh, a lot of those guys, uh, I've talked with a lot of people about this because, I feel like there is um, an aspect of post-traumatic stress that happens when your buddies who you're connected with, who you're hanging out with on base, go out on mission and then they end up getting fucked up yeah. and you can't do a damn thing. Like you're, you're helpless. And so that side of traumatic stress, um, I think is very important, even though they didn't see combat. Um, to me, like, honestly, like combat was, I'm not saying easy, but it, it felt great. Like I loved it. Um, I hear you. for me, like I do, you know, I do have dreams and occasional nightmares and a lot of stuff that comes with that. But I look back on it when, you know, constantly looking inwards and in like meditation and yoga, I constantly look back at that. And, uh, for a long time outside of the military, and I'm going to be fucking like, 
going all over the place, but you know, whatever noggin toboggan injuries and shit. Um, the idea with going into combat, um, that level of operating, you're, you're just, you're hitting a hundred percent. You're flying at 35,000 feet, whatever the analogy people use nowadays, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you're switched on and you're able to go into, uh, a type of world that isn't commonly seen and the it, it's beautiful uh it, it's fucking crazy and disgusting but at the same time that that kind of operation is um something of beauty that i think a lot of veterans who do go into combat strive like they constantly look for it outside of the military i mean i did when i got out i'm sure you did like mm-hmm. you're, you're looking for that next adrenaline but at the same time it's not necessarily the adrenaline that we need to be seeking after we need to be seeking after that that operating that switched on um, where you can you can work in a chaotic environment without um having to lag so the uh God damn it. No, it's okay. I got you the thing with, so I was going to say your mic's picking up a little third, third, uh, picking up a little interference, but I'll just throw that at you. Um, but what I, what what I was going to say to you with that is when you go and you're, I respect what you say. And I want to point it out because I think it's important. I think it's not discussed nearly enough is the vets who don't actually see the combat like you said the vets that actually have to witness their friends going in and out of base coming back fucked up or not coming back at all and then having to deal with that i think there's a i think there needs to be a place or a situation where that can be discussed in an open forum where people can feel safe because reluctantly we i say we people who have actually seen true and honest combat we tend to at first maybe that's just me i'm speaking for a very large group of people here but keep to ourselves or keep to that small group that have experienced combat because they don't think they can have conversations with other people about it for, for lack of not understanding or for lack of not witnessing it themselves or for lack of, you know, sounding crazy or whatever the fuck you want to call it. I think that's interesting though, because I've never heard that take on it of having people who, you know, are on these bases and they're seeing these things all the time. But as soon as you said that, it made me think of a situation where I remember watching some of the guys go outside after we were in Fabram. I remember after getting to know some of these Americans, knowing these guys were going out on missions that day and knowing that we were being ready at the ready, you know, to support them. And I never thought about it, but it's incredibly intimidating. It's incredibly difficult to really, truly wrap your head around people that you are seeing in the morning. You may never see again. Uh, you know, nighttime comes. That's traumatic on its own. That's just something on its own. Um, and so I, I respect, I, I respect that you bring that up, and I, and I'm glad that you bring that up because I think that I've never actually heard that discussed. Yeah, it needs to be because it's creating a huge separation and honestly making a lot of post-traumatic stress symptoms worse for some people. That isolation. Uh, because mm-hmm. they don't feel like they can connect, but they're like, why do I feel this way? I'm feeling this way. So someone mm-hmm. telling me that I'm not a combat individual and I never seen combat, but I was deployed on a base, you know, as a mechanic or supporting mm-hmm. logistically, um, they, they feel like, you know, they're having their legs taken out from them under them because they weren't in combat. But at the same time, like you were there, you were supporting those individuals. I don't care mm-hmm. who says what, like, I'll go toe to toe with them. 
the the combat arms would not be able to do the job without logistics it just well, wouldn't happen well it's common sense if you think yeah. about it the, these are the people that ordered <laughs> it's like hi somebody forgot to order your rounds oh yeah okay so now what do i do you just fight him with your fist and see how it goes yeah, yeah. we'll 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 just play it out you know we'll go play, we'll, yeah. we'll play this one by ear and see how it turns out yeah so any of those like keyboard warrior fucks if you guys wanted to say otherwise you know kelsey can give you my number you know address and you can come in i'll i'll fucking fight you just and then he'll fight you speaking of fight you oh let's get into this part oh shit yes buddy yes buddy this. oh we're, we're getting it. into this we're doing it we're there we're here <laughs> welcome to the fucking thunderdome all right why do you want to fight the QAnon shaman so bad please oh, tell oh. me what the fuck is going on with this griff hit me with this he goes listen tim wants to fight the guy who took over the capital because he's a fake fucking viking and then he mm -hmm. goes we're going to talk about it. And then that's all I was given. So please tell me what is going on here. Uh, I don't like him. Um, I don't okay. like him as a person. Uh, I don't know him, um, but I don't okay. like him. I would, love, <laughs> I would love to have a, uh, you know, a friendly bout, you know, in a ring, you know, whatever. Let's go a 1990s MMA style. You bring whatever, you know, skill or style of fighting you want to the table. And we'll we'll go from there. Um, I I think honestly he's a he's a fucking poser. Okay. Yeah, like plain and simple. Like he put okay. on this weird headdress that a, a couple of my buddies they've you know they've looked into it and they're like this is totally inaccurate and also also like culturally inappropriate. Like wrong. You can't yeah, you like, can't appropriate culture like that. You just can't. <laughs> like so, in my opinion, like. He's the QAnon shaman and uh, whatever type of shaman he is, like, what are you, the shaman for meth heads, man? Like, fuck. Oh, the, uh, the whole idea of him, how he spoke in like interviews and the photos he took and also his Google bio. Like, he's- Oh, you've looked at it, eh? It, it's just ridiculous. I'm like, I don't want to go into it, but I do want to- I want to go into it. No, okay. I want to go right. into it. I never said that you could stop. I need to let you know right now that it is happening. I need to know about it. And I want to know, I want everybody listening to know about the fact that you're going to fight the QAnon Shaman. So please go yeah, ahead. Like, uh, I mean, whether or not he wants to, uh, he was arrested. Uh, what, you know, can't, whatever that that happens you go and storm the capital yeah. you're gonna get arrested whether you leave and go to your home and you're eating your fucking tv dinner and they bust down your door and take you to jail like you're going to jail yeah. um and while he was in jail he wanted an organic shaman diet it's like what the fuck is that man like we we've met shamans in mm -hmm. what we've done and they don't say they're fucking shamans because they let their work and everything else speak for itself they don't have to advertise that they're a shaman and that's another thing that's wrong in the culture of spirituality some self-help motherfucker that goes about you know toting that they're a shaman it's like oh okay like <laughs> where'd you get this credential from hmm? may i see your you know your long list of accolades that you know declares you as a fucking shaman it, it just it irks me because that's a sacred fucking title and it is that to, for it to be bastardized like it was to me is like, okay, yeah, like I would love to get in the ring with him and, uh, you know, put his, 
ego in check. Okay. So there's something to be said for the guys that, um, we have all served alongside and there's something to be said for people like this guy, when you are a legit, I'm trying so hard, this fucking guy, guy. yeah. When you're a legitimate war fighter, when you are a legitimate human being who has seen and, or not saying you have, but taken other people off the face of this earth. You do not fuck with those people. And the fact of the matter is this guy is trying to represent himself as someone that he is not in order to gain fame and fortune. And for people like you and I, and the group that we kind of associate with when you call yourself a shaman, and when you sit there and storm the Capitol, and then also have a ton of uneducated veterans around you it makes the rest of us look like a bunch of fucking idiots when i say i go somewhere to see a shaman and then this guy this fucking guy goes i'm a shaman that makes me look bad shit crazy yep i'm not into it no i'm not into it no so that needs to be put in check like that like i'm a very i'm a quiet person i live on a farm Mm -hmm. i am a farmer Mm-hmm. and an artist so for mm-hmm. me like I find peace in you know being uh like in the solitude of things and mm-hmm. I'm not an isolated individual but when something like this comes about that's going down that, that's when it needs to that's when the individuals need to come out and be like all right you need to get in check now I mean this yeah. is not okay um no. And whether, okay, so this is what I want to be clear on. All right. They have the right and the freedom to storm the fucking Capitol. I mean, that's America. It is, yes. You have the right to fucking do that. You're going to get arrested. But there's going to be consequences to your actions. Yeah. And the stupidity that was behind all of that was just, they, they could have done it a whole lot better, not storming the Capitol. They could have set up protesting. I mean, there, there is so much that is good in the world of protest, protesting that brings about a lot of change. You know, we've seen it in history and they did it mm-hmm. right. Um, yep. They did it effectively. But these idiots, they did not. Like they, they screwed it up for a lot of people and they just wanted to, you know, have a fucking go at the Capitol. Um, it boggles and- me because I hear, I hear people talk about this and I hear uh, people that are, you know, in the Hollywood industry and they're like, well, it was a lot of veterans involved with it. Yeah, and I'm like, damn. I'm like, well, you, here, I don't, uh, cause you need to tell me how to respond to that because I am not in your politics enough to know exactly who was there. But what I do know is one bad act does not, it should not be what the rest of us are being judged off of, especially yep. when, the word veteran is a word that every country uses for a military member who has served. And so when you use the word veteran, it's automatically in the news is using it. They're automatically pigeonholing the rest of us. So when we say we're veterans, everyone's like, well, you, that automatically means you're Republican. It automatically means that you're violent. It automatically means that you're probably fucked up and dangerous. And it probably also means you have a lot of guns, which couldn't be further from the truth. It, it's yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm it's sorry. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, it portrays a very a shitty view on uh, what, you know, what a lot of individuals are working hard to try and help the community. Yet it just takes one bad act to fuck it all up. Okay. So how do we now, how do, how do we find this guy? What, where does, what's, how does this work? How are we going to start training you? How do we get in contact with him? And how do we make this shit happen? I'm okay. asking all the questions. I know yeah. you're asking, you're putting me on the spot here. Uh, honestly, I mean, I think it's just a matter of reaching out to him and being like, Hey, you want to fight for you know, <laughs> like, uh, you'll get some cameras you'll get, you know, there might be some money involved. You know, this is kind of up your alley. You know, you're, you're liking the whole limelight shit, you know, let's, let's capitalize on it for you and, you know, then get into the ring and show him what he's about. There's one punch him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just, he, he could oh. be a great fighter. He could it's, be a great fighter and he could knock me the fuck out. Okay, but Tim. at the same time, like, hey, you know, that that's the thing. You you went toe to toe and that's that's okay. You did what you could. But at the same time, like, good luck. Go, well, go for I, it. <laughs> Let's try and watch how quickly this ends. I, you would have to do like, I feel like the best way to do that is you have to like guarantee that you're not going to knock his ass out in the first round because I feel like this guy's got so much ego riding that he could not fathom being knocked out in the first round. Maybe that might be good though. Maybe if you were just to, you know, shake hands, start the fight. And as he just runs at you, just step in and one punch and just connect. <laughs> just don't break a sweat. Don't even barely move. Just and just stand there. You do nothing to say other than you've done this to yourself. You've put yourself you in this position. I'm not advocating for large scale violence towards this guy. But what I am saying is yeah. I don't appreciate someone who goes out says they're attached to a community that I'm attached to, and then has the audacity to claim that they are something as important, spiritual, or or recognized as a shaman. Because you and I both know, and if our listeners don't know, just do yourself a favor and watch um, the song that calls you home. That'll mm. shock you. That'll break your fucking brain. Then you'll yep. understand. But that's what I'm saying to, to be able to sit there and say that you're somebody like that in such a public forum on all of these large-scale news um all these large-scale news channels that go all around the world, that is the perception of what like America is right now. Is that guy standing there with his fucking flag and a stupid hat thinking that that is okay? And none of that, not one thing of that was okay. Not one part of that situation was okay. I do agree. Yeah, there's an agreeance there. I do agree that something needed to give, but that was not the way to do it. Correct. I, yeah. I, I do. I agree with you on that. You concur. Yeah, I, I concur. I concur. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, that's the other thing in the military, you settled your beef with someone by, you know, getting in a, a ring and grappling, you know, doing yeah. combatives. like you had beef with someone, you would, you would roll. And yeah, just handle it. You yep, handle your business you on the mat. It. So that's what we're doing here in the community. So basically, <laughs> This is exactly it. Whether or not, you know, he uh, he accepts it. If he doesn't accept it, I, fuck. Do we just keep like? Do we just keep going at him? Do we just keep going at? Him? I mean, I think so because he he wanted he wanted the attention, and now he's got the attention. 
but yeah, he's, but he's got, got the it from the, of the, wrong the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got the attention from the guys you, you don't. Okay. Mr. QAnon man, let me just say this real quick. You've Mr. now QAnon got, <laughs> you've got, Fuck. you've got the attention of some people that if, if you only, uh, let's just say you don't want this attention. These are not guys you mm. want to fuck with. Ooh. I know these people. I would run the other direction. I would rescind. I would say, I'm sorry. I would go out and burn the hat and apologize and beg for forgiveness because there's a lot of these gentlemen out there and they live everywhere. And yeah, they all, they all know each other. They all know each other and they're all connected. So even if we don't find you on my show, I'm sure Tim will find a way to contact you and be like, listen, bro, we're gonna have a quick chat. So it's going to go down and this is how it's going to go down. Isn't he in jail? Is he still in jail or is he out? Uh, no. So he, I think he's out and uh, he was part of the court hearings and he denied, not denied, but basically backtracked and backpedaled as fast as he fucking could. Like said, he's about sorry what? about, about everything. He, he didn't intend to storm the Capitol. Like everything he said the day of, he, he was in court. <laughs> sweating bullets just he wasn't in his fucking headdress or maybe mm. he smoked a little meth before i don't know like he he uh he's he's not an individual that has integrity i no not even a little bit but what i find fascinating about that is like how do you backpedal from something where there is footage from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and then newscasters and cameras and senators and people that were in the building you can't backpedal from that you don't you can't what did you think was going to happen if you were standing literally in the house of speakers standing there with an american flag do you truly think that you can backpedal from something like that that's what i yeah. find this, this just... is the other thing like this is the other thing you gotta also we gotta take into consideration there there is like the whole a lot of those community people that were part of the riot or whatever they they're keyboard warriors mm. and so this podcast once it's released there could be a lot of backlash and people saying oh i'm gonna uh. kill you i'm gonna come for your family it's like well how about how about we have a place where if you want to you can have the opportunity to kill me in a ring like bare hands yeah. wouldn't Let's that roll. be your your whole little wet dream of being able to do that Instead no of chance. Think, thinking you can uh, go behind a keyboard and do that, like growing up in the '90s, you settled your beef with someone by going out. You know, this is this is. I mean, this isn't the '90s. This is like the age of you know yeah. growing up. Anybody through any era, you settled your beef by you know throwing down. And I'm not trying to support violence, like. There's a safe way to be yeah. violent and there's an educational way to be violent and there's nothing wrong with violence if it's done out of out of intent to learn and educate and to better one's safety. It's not advocating for violence and someone going to smash somebody upside the head with a pipe. It's you and I are standing in a ring. We both know what we're here to do. We both understand the rules and regulations. There's a there's an acceptable amount of violence yep. within that. We're not saying go stab each other in the face at all right. by any means. Cause that's, yeah, this, that's, this isn't Mad Max. <laughs> this is not cool. We're not there yet. We're on our way there. Society's on its way, but we're, we're not there yet. So just keep the knife in the pants. But what I'm saying is I'm okay. I understand. Yeah, you caught that. But what I'm saying is I'm okay with advocating for 
I was an athlete. I used to fight. That's what I did from there the age go. of four. I had spent every waking moment thinking about kicking people in the face, but that was because that was what my sport was. That's what I trained for. There's something to be said for when you are trained young and you learn how to handle yourself when you're younger and you do it safely and effectively. It's the people who are not trained. It's the people who think that street violence is the way to handle something. It's not. Rolling Correct. is. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It, you're going to get a little bloody. That's okay. Like yeah. you're, you might get knocked out. That's okay. But there's a controlled environment to do so. And I think yeah. that's very respectable to put someone's ego in check. Well, isn't that what they say about jujitsu? Something about being choked out will we'll teach you real quickly how small and pathetic you really are. <laughs> yeah, there's always someone better. There's always someone better. When it comes to when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, like, you know, we'll, we'll get back into shaman later. But, you know, for now, I want to know when it came to training for you and it came to before deployments and what that looked like for your physical fitness. Did you do a lot of pre-fighting? Because I know the guys that were on at Fob Ramrod, they rolled a lot with each other. I saw that a lot. They were always fucking around and we never did any of that. Yeah, um, especially the guys with, uh, I believe Ramrod was 117, um, mm -hmm. the unit. And so, yeah, that was, that was a part of the brigade and we had brigade level combatives tournaments all the time. Like we rolled all the time and it was pretty fun. And I did that. I participated and uh, went through combatives tournaments and uh, did boxing in the army as well. Mm -hmm. And so that was, um, that was a really enjoyable time to help relieve stress. You know, you know, when you're going through the rigmarole of the military, there's just a lot of daily stress that comes from bullshit tasks and people, mm -hmm. 10 people breathing down your throat. Um, and you can let that out in a very, um, co like controlled, aggressive environment. And so that's something that I think, uh, helps keep the, the pit bulls feisty, uh, for, <laughs> for war, you know, you, you keep that, that edge alive, because if you're not, you know, you're, you aren't training that sword, uh, to be able to fight. Well, I wonder, do you guys ever, when you're doing your kind of rolling and you guys are doing that type of training, is that something you guys ever do full kit? Uh, no, usually it's done with uh, kind of like a, a similar gi. Uh, a mm -hmm. lot of combatives are used with uh, just the military um, B BDUs, ACUs. Uh, mm -hmm. So you're wearing your top and your bottom. Um, and, you know, with combatives, you use those to your advantage um, mm -hmm. in any way possible. And so that's why they wear those, you know, like with uh, jujitsu, you have your gi. Um, and in combatives, you have, you know, your ACUs, BDUs, mm -hmm. and uh, that's how they, they do your thing. I was just wondering how you guys train for things like that. Cause I know for us, when it came to the pre-deployment workup training, ours was, uh, I would say a little bit different than yours. I mean, at least mine was, you were doing foo type work. So your forward observation for the artillery, uh, but I would be doing, you know, I was on the gun. So when it came time to do any sort of training for, oh, say, that's right. Yeah, you were a gun bunny. I'm a gun bunny. <laughs> That's I, right. I, I pull the lanyards and load the rounds and load the charges. Jesus, like yeah. thinking about that, like your size, it's, it's a good like, time, isn't it? Dang, don't fuck with Kelsey. 
No, because that's, that's, that's the thing is, see, you've met me in person. And so people listening, they, they, they're they like, she's small. I'm like, no, I was like, I was like a solid 108 at a maximum weight. And those rounds on average go up to like 105, 105 pounds. So they went up to mid past my, past my hip bone up to like mid waist height wise with a, with a full, with a full, um, oh my God, there goes the word. Oh, it's okay. A lot of those words. Yeah. Ah, there we go. I'm doing the motions because I'm screwing it on. Like I'm screwing it on the round really quick in case you can't see it. You know, when you got the different charges on the top. Anyway, so I was, I'm doing the motion. So that's all gotcha. that matters. Yeah. So I, I'm loading those things very often, you know, just lifting it onto the tray one after the other was, was more than enough. But for training wise, we had, I had the strength. I had the, you know, my Sergeant, Sergeant LeBlanc, he is now a, I make fun of him now because I recently reconnected with him, but Sergeant Mark LeBlanc, I guess he's now captain like a dickhead Ooh. moved over to the officer side and um he's hey, you he's can't a, blame him you can't blame him for that they were making the money those off i know make coin I know. <laughs> I know and he he got to a warrant officer in the artillery so i will oh, wow. i'll give i'll give him that but he you know he he was physically fit and he kept us and he trained us so on like when we did workup training i remember we would go we went down to texas and uh, we shot live fire down there, but there was, uh, we got like a day off. And I remember him being like, yeah, we're going, we're, let me try this. We're going to get the day off and we're, uh, we're going to climb the mountain because we cannot get soft. Like he didn't want us to get soft at any point. And then we had other units where people were like legit 300 pounds. I'm like, there's no fucking way you've got anybody's back if this thing's getting overrun. So he would, you know, do all these extra training exercise with us. He would take us and we would climb or we would even on weekends, he would take us to uh, the range and we would do, you know, like level four, we do house clearing. We would do all the things that maybe artillery gunners were not trained to do. But the one thing I know we didn't do a lot of, and I do wish, and I'm thank God that I never was in that position is we didn't do any hand to hand. Mm. And that to me now being out, knowing what we, well, fuck, you know what I went through because you were apparently dropping rounds over my head. So <laughs> that's a whole different thing, but we'll get to that. But you know, the thing is, is I was very fortunate that I never had to use that because I don't know that my skills would have been enough. I had enough fighting experience for, you know, the age four to, you know, 20 years old that I fought but the, the type of sport that I fought and the proficiency I had was a striking sport, but predominantly lower limb striking. And it wasn't the upper hand, more boxing striking. And to be completely frank with you, if you look at me in full kit with all ammo, everything, small pack rounds, my arms could barely reach left to right to even grab another mag because the kit was so big. So the idea of, of, of at that point of somebody getting a hold of me and then me, there's no fucking way. There's no way. There's no way I would have lived through that. No way. No chance. And so I always wonder why you guys do so much of that compared to say other countries. And I, I find it fascinating how much more you do than us when it comes to that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely important to keep that because there is the possibility that you get into hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, at the same time, I, I just, I think it's keeping that edge alive, um, keeping that hate, you know, burning, you know, <laughs> inside because you can't have someone who isn't hateful going to war. You got to be angry. You got to be pissed off. Like you got to want that other person dead. Like mm -hmm. it, 
whether that other person is like innocent or not, like, unfortunately that that's part of combat. And there were situations that that happened for us and a lot of other people um, mm -hmm. deployed. And that does weigh on people's hearts. Um, of course. At the same time, it's, it's more of a, I mean, I've been trying to delve into that of the, the existence of war and when you're over there, because it feels like a dream state, like it right? feels like an alternate reality. And honestly, it very well could be like, because you come back uh, and a lot of the time you're, you're reminiscing and, you know, you'll, you'll drink and then shit will start popping back off and mm -hmm. start remembering it. But then as time goes on, that starts to fade, uh, in the specifics and details and all of that, it starts to fade more and more. Um, which I think, you know, that's just a, you know, as time goes on, you forget, but uh, on the other hand, being over there, it's a whole nother reality. I mean, this is, this isn't something that uh, a lot of people at home uh, understand, but the individuals who are over there, you, it's like you're in a different plane of existence. So that's, that's kind of fascinating to me and what I've been delving in, in the, uh, you know, the spiritual practice of what we're trying to achieve now as uh, enlightened warriors or whatever. Mm -hmm. That sounds like fucking like, you know, I'm an enlightened warrior for <laughs> like you know like i'm uh you know that's the other thing like i, I apologize if i offend any christians i have you know my wife's christian but i'm you're I, not offending anybody i'm i was born and raised and had it shoved on my throat just as much so there's I, no offense believe, here yeah i believe there's gods and goddesses and you know all that jazz that's great but at the same time the alternate planes do exist um whether we want to believe it or not um and that that's an important side that we kind of need to start taking into consideration when we're healing from tra traumatic events in war um well we uh, talked about that you and i talked about that briefly when i first met you and i kind of let you into how i felt about some things and i you know the way you and i met was incredibly serendipitous and that was in the way that i met griff and you know he kind of brought me into this i'm very i'm very feel very privileged to be brought into this you know tight-knit group of people but the one of the one things i did learn and it was kind of explained to me was i was having discussions with you guys about a lot of guilt i was going through and a lot of things i was feeling bad about things that i had done overseas and i remember the red-headed stepchild of the group looking at me and saying don't fucking feel bad if they got a hold of you, the shit they would have done to you would have fucking made your nightmares look like, you know, kids play. So don't feel bad because you were in a situation. And I just remember looking at him and then going, oh, yeah, that's what you used to do. Never mind. You fucking understand because you fucking did it so much. And so he he explained that to me and that and that helped me understand, you know, I only saw so much over there and the stuff that I saw was horrific, like so many of us, but I never did see the other, the other side of what it's like to actually be, you know, a military member and be taken and what that mm. looks like and what they're going to do to you. So I understand a little bit more now after spending the time with you guys, I don't have to feel guilty about what I did because it was the only way that I could survive in that situation. And that's totally okay. And then it comes down to finding the ways to deal with that guilt and how to handle that. And then what that comes down to is finding 
finding the right treatments or finding the right situations, the right groups of people. And I feel like, like I, and you know this, I finally found that, but it wasn't through traditional ways. It wasn't through traditional measures, medicine and things like that. It was with other things that involve alternate planes and energies and things like that. And along those, and what I found the most wild to me was in 10 years of doing treatment after treatment, after treatment, medication, after medication, it took one weekend doing something really fucking out of my comfort zone. And that changed the game. Mm. And it was because it was something so spiritual, so heavy hitting, so effective and so not public that I could actually get into it and understand myself in a different way that I never would have been able to if I wasn't introduced to this group. And that is something I'll always be grateful to you guys for. Um, but what I want for what I hope for, for the moving forward of the veteran community is the understanding that when somebody talks about, you know, uh, something to do with like a type of religion. So like you say, energies on different planes and gods and goddess. And, and, you know, there is, I don't believe that you even need to say, you know, I'm sorry if I'm offending one, because I don't really truly believe that there is a way to offend somebody. If you're coming at it from a healthy, loving light and, and just wanting to help perspective, you're not trying to harm anyone. You're not trying to be offensive to anyone, but what you are also trying to say is that there's so much more out there for us than what the traditional means we've been told are that can help our community in a way that we never fathomed before. We could never understand. Right. Yeah. Right. So I mean, shit, we're, we can open up a slight can of worms here on that. Like, uh, mm -hmm. think, all right. So let's, let's go into some Viking understanding. All right. Into it. So think about like Vikings, they constantly warred and they, they loved battle and they went for battle and they came home back to their families. They were farmers, you know, metal workers, artists. Uh, they were normal people yet they went off to war mm -hmm. and, pillaged and plundered and did their whole thing but at the same time why were they so easy to come back into the society um, of just farming and peace and what they were doing it's primarily because they had their tribe i mean this this goes through a lot of other ancient cultures they had their tribe and their tribe was familiar and understanding of it but they also had a very strong spiritual connection to nature, individuals, you know, different planes of existence, the heavens, mm -hmm. all of that. They had uh, a belief that those where, when they were going to war, that was with them. They were on that, you know, plane of existence. And when they died, you know, they'd go to Valhalla or when Native Americans died, they'd go up to the, uh, you know, fuck, um, what a uh, tonk, uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, oh man. It's okay. They go, they, let's just say they go where they go, yeah. they go where they go today. We'll leave um, it there. I think it's Minnetonka. Uh, yeah. anyways. Um, but the, uh, I really, I'm going to correct that. So if anybody okay. finds it and wants to correct me, please correct me because no, they will. Don't worry. They um, will. Don't worry. They will. <laughs> and, and the idea of it was, they were in that warring state and they were, you know, killing motherfuckers and taking mm -hmm. lives, bloody, aggressive. 
but they were in that spiritual like existence. And, you know, you look at the Knights Templar, they did the same thing. They felt like God was with them. The, you know, Christianity was behind them as a whole, you know, warring mm -hmm. against an individual. And so the whole concept, I think now when we're going to war, it's like, well, who the fuck is with me now? Like, yeah, <laughs> like we, we don't have that anymore. It's been disconnected. And even more so disconnected because our families and our culture behind they're nice and comfy at home while we're over there in that sh shitty situation. But that's where we have our tribe right now that you are talking about that we're forming that a lot of veterans need to start getting on board with. I think there there's this idea, a lot of our veteran community, especially in the United States, and this could, you know, like I said, I'm just coming at it from the limited education that I have. So again, I'm fine with being corrected. The, the United States has a, at least in the Southern, very, very Catholic Christian uh, outlook in the way that their religion is set. And so I feel like a lot of the gentlemen that I got to talk with and sit with and work with that were American were very Christian, very Catholic, very God fearing. And they had that. But then when I started speaking with maybe people from say, even some people from Canada, they might not have had the, the deep religious upbringing. Like if you go to the South, like you go to church on Sunday, like you, you knew you do, was it, what's the Friday? What's the good Friday? You don't eat, you know, the whole fuck. And my mom is going to punch me right in the face for that. Um, but you, but you, you have a different way of being. And so when you go overseas, they have that belief that God is with them, that God is with them. But the thing that we haven't touched base on, which I want to kind of brief on is maybe that's why Afghanistan needs to stop being fucked with because they have such a strong, deep rooted belief with Allah that they cannot be defeated. Yeah. And they want to die because- and they are okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you beat that? I mean, all we got is the buddy beside us. That's who we're really fighting for over there. I mean, that's all you can comprehend in the moment is the people that you're with day in and day out. That's your, that's your tribe and your family that you're willing to die for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what kept a lot of us going over there in that time frame. And then the disconnect happens because you come back and everybody's experiencing their, their just their disconnect from that war. And they're in the, the realm of McDonald's and cheeseburgers and fucking TV and alcohol and all of this constant, you know, just stimulus that is driving them nuts. And then your buddies start going off to different units and mm -hmm. you start becoming more and more isolated and you don't really want to hang out with the new unit that you're with because, you know, they aren't really, you know, they don't understand where you were at mm -hmm. or what you were doing. And then you get out of the military and then you're really, you can yeah. really be fucking lonely. Yeah, the military, once you're out, it makes, uh, there's something to be said for when you leave a unit and how that works. I briefly had a conversation with Sergeant LeBlanc about this because he said to me, after you went home, we didn't know what happened to you. There was no, couldn't find me, didn't know what happened to me. What the staff members told him happened to me wasn't actually what was going on. Like there was no understanding. And what he said to me, and we had this discussion was the guys that were on my gun, we were all, we were somewhat tight knit in that sense that that was our gun. That was our troop. We slept in the same tent. We did the same workouts. We were all together. 
but what he, you know, he realized and explained to them was, you know, when we go back from this, like we're being all being split up. Well, nobody's staying in this unit. Nobody's staying in this regiment. We're all being split up, but he had already done deployment. So he knew that. Whereas your first time deployment, I was like, not even barely 19 years old. Wow. Yeah. I deployed when I was a baby. And so there was no understanding or even how being taught how to deal with separation from the guys that you just went through hell with to coming back to the civilian world. There just isn't a good enough integration program for military when they go from that to civilians. I just, I really do not think there is. And that's my belief only because that's exactly what happened to me. And I can really only judge me and for what I went through. But from what it seems like, there is a massive disconnect when it's time to leave the military to what you do when you get out. And I don't know if you experienced that as well, or that was just me. No, hell yeah. It was a massive disconnect. Huge. Didn't feel like I had a fucking friend. I moved to a totally new town and basically, you know, isolated um, and didn't, you know, went to school and was like, right, I'm just going to knock out the school because that's what you do. And mm -hmm. then I'm going to try and find a new job when I get out. And, you know, then it's just kind of like, you know, going through the motion and it just slowly starts deteriorating, deteriorating your self uh, purpose of who you mm -hmm. were and what you did and you know what the military trained you to become on the good side of things like I think the military for a lot of stuff like the whole oh, yeah. building me up to be as strong of a person as I am today like that wouldn't have fucking happened without the military no. so it's you know the the whole reaching out and trying to find someone is really fucking hard because if you aren't in a great place you know, you aren't going to reach out to someone and say you're struggling. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not an easy task because again, ego gets in the way. It likes to fuck with you. It does. And I noticed that, um, when it came to the group that I was introduced to, you guys all seem to, for the most part, have an understanding with one another that if somebody does not call or answer a text for a certain amount of time, there's this understanding that you're going to get in your fucking truck and you're going to drive your ass out there and you're going to make sure that that person is okay. Except for me, because nobody can fucking get to me because I live in Canada. So the best you can do is throw a rock from what they call the pathetic border. So from the ditch, from the ditch, from the, the, the legitimate <laughs> ditch that is our border against Washington, which again, why is it only a ditch? I don't know. Maybe because we trust you guys. Don't we're shady. <laughs> don't come on by and just, you know, drop yeah. the shake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, uh, like Griff said to me when I, when I almost couldn't get down there, he goes, we had, we had an exfil plan. Like who the fuck has an exfil plan? How many friends in your like life? Can you sit there and say somebody would have legitimately got a boat, met me in the middle of the ocean and picked my ass up? Nobody, because only people that have served in the military who have been through serious shit would go that far to help a friend. Nobody else. Most people can't even make coffee appointments and show up on time, let alone answer the phone. It takes a special type of person. It takes a special type of group of people. And I think that's what's so spectacular about you and the guys that I got to, you know, really become, you know, family with, 
the one thing I just want to touch on before I, I kick you out is I heard um, you and Matt Griff at the Bunker Lab. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we were chatting about that. And I asked him, I said, how did you meet Tim? Like, what was that like? And he goes, <clears throat> I walked in and, well, Tim was just standing there and it was his bulge. Got me. <laughs> God, <laughs> that motherfucker. <laughs> I said, are you sure it wasn't his, was his pants too tight? Was it his ass? He goes, he was painting a mural. He was painting a mural. I was like, did you lean over and ask him, will you come paint me? But then I realized Griff would have just raped you. So there would have been no painting. He would have just, he would have raped you. You could try. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Iggy said. You fucking try. <laughs> I said that to Iggy the other day, which is another guy you guys are all going to hear from. Um, I said that to him the other day. I said, you know, if you need anything, he goes, no, I'll go live with Griff. And I was like, he's like, but I'm really smooth and soft. So I think that's probably dangerous. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, buddy, you can't, you can't do that because bad things will happen to you in the middle of the night. It's just not allowed. Oh my God. It just doesn't go down that way. Um, but listen, I, um, I, I'm obviously having you on again and, and you know that yeah, and I, we can't we can't fucking end on this no <laughs> but we got it we got it but we, we will but like there is uh we've got some crazy stuff to talk about and I'm just going to tease some of it now you know between you and I we actually went through a very serious operation together and I had no idea until very recently and um end I it. think that's something my uh, listeners are going to be interested to hear yep it's going right. to be pretty amazing all right, boys and girls, this has been uh, Tim, our, our Viking soul warrior, our enlightened warrior, our fucking madman over there with his badass tattoos. Make sure you guys check out the next episode, but uh, we'll chat with you later. See you later.